Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. On April 16th of this year, we endeavor to answer a question. And that question was, who is Jesus? Right after Easter, we immediately went right into this series called, Who is Jesus? And I hope it's been a blessing to you, but we knew, I knew, that there was really no proper conclusion to this series. Because we're talking about the most important man to ever live. He, He did no ministry for the first 30 years of his life and only ministered for three years to three and a half years, yet there's no one more read about, more talked about, more discussed, and more impactful than this man, Jesus Christ. And so we could talk from now until Jesus comes back about who Jesus is, and we wouldn't scratch the surface, but now is the place where we're going to conclude our series Uh, And next week, we're going to begin a brand new series called Prioritize. Everybody say Prioritize. Prioritize. How many of you know when life gets busy, we have a habit of putting the wrong things first? (laughs) Right? We get busy and we prioritize all of the wrong stuff. And so we're going to begin a brand new series of fresh next week to help you prioritize the right way, the way God wants you to prioritize and what to prioritize. So I'm excited about that. But in this series, Who is Jesus? We've talked about everything from the humanity of Jesus, Jesus the man, the priesthood of Jesus, Jesus as a rabbi. And for the last 10 weeks, we've focused on just who Jesus is as a teacher. And in particular, we've talked about this one sermon, the longest recorded sermon that we have from Jesus, Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and we've talked about this message that he gave us as a king speaking to the people of his kingdom. And he was teaching us, telling us, this is how I want my people to live. This is the expectation of heaven. If you're going to be a citizen of this kingdom, this is how we live. And he made it very clear that we are different than the citizens of the world because we have a different king. We have a different Lord, and we follow a different pathway with different values and culture. And Jesus is spelling that out for us in this Sermon on the Mount. And he says something that blows away the facade of righteousness that they had in that day. He said this, and I've read it multiple times, but I'm gonna read it again as we close. Matthew chapter five, verse 20, he says this, but I warn you, Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, he's saying what you think is the gold standard of righteousness, what you hail as this is the pinnacle of what it means to be a righteous person like the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, what you hold as the creme de la creme, It's not even worthy to make it into my kingdom because that's not real righteousness. And he begins to expose the the hypocrisy and the fake righteousness 
that they held so high in the sermon. And he just dropped a bomb on us. So I'm going to pick up where we left off last week. He dropped a bomb on us in saying that the essence of the law, everything in the law can be summed up in this. This is the heart behind it. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. He says, all of the things that we teach, or you, your religious leaders teach in the law, guess what? It can be the essence of it, the heart of it can be this. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. Not don't do what you don't want done to you. Do what you do want done to you. That's the law. And guess what? Your religious leaders aren't doing it. The people you think are so high and holy and mighty, they aren't doing that. And Jesus says, this is what I want you to do. We call it the golden rule. And then he goes on. And I've told you guys at the beginning of this series that there were going to be many moments in as we study the life of Jesus that would be challenging. And I can't think of one more challenging than these last words as Jesus concludes this sermon. Verse 13, he says this, you can enter God's kingdom only, everybody say only, only through the narrow gate. When someone says only, that means that this is a very restrictive statement. He's saying the only way that you can make it into the kingdom of heaven is through this narrow gate. It's very slim, it's very narrow. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. Well, Pastor, that's kind of tough. It's kind of hard. Can I tell you something about this, the kingdom of heaven? Jesus' way is very simple, but it is not easy. It is very simple. He required this of us, come and follow me. That's what he wants. But he never said it was easy. It is a narrow way. And everyone will not choose it. Everyone will. And sadly, there are people who are in, in our church, some of maybe even in the building today, that will not choose it. They won't choose to follow Jesus his way. And it's mind-blowing for us that Jesus would make such a narrow statement because we live in America. And even more so, we live in South Louisiana. And in South Louisiana, there are more Christians than there are people. Some of you, you're going to catch that as the message progresses. You're going to go, ah, I got it. But that's the way we think of it. We're right, because, I'm, because I'm Cajun, I'm a Christian, this is what we do. That's not what Jesus said. That's not the type of Christianity that he wanted. Let's continue. Remember what Jesus said when he began this teaching. When he began teaching this, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And to go back to remind you, what he's saying is this, you don't choose me, I choose you. You don't come to me picking and choosing what parts of what I say that you want to obey. Because I'm not just one of the options that you get to pick from. Jesus says, I am the way. And my way is narrow. It's a narrow path. 
And you have to humble. We come humbly to the kingdom of heaven recognizing we don't have much to bring. I don't come to him going, God, what do you have to offer me? That's not the way that you enter the kingdom. That may be the way you join churches. That may be the way that you raise your hand and say prayers, but that is not the way you enter the kingdom. At least the way Jesus says it and the way Jesus puts it. We come humble that we even get to be here. I used to have a friend of mine, and we would go minister in public schools in Hammond, Louisiana, and he, he said, my ministry is glad to be here ministries. I'm just glad to be here. I'm just happy he saved me. Think about that for a moment. He saved you. Do you deserve that? Because I can promise you I didn't. I still don't. But he saved me. He rescued me. And because of that, he gets to dictate how I follow him. I don't get to dictate it. The path is narrow. The path is narrow. Jesus, let me give you another saying of Jesus, and we won't put it up, but on John chapter 14, write it down. You can read it for yourself. Jesus said, I am, speaking of himself, I am the way. I am that narrow gate. I am the truth. I'm not a liar. I'm not a false prophet. And I am the life. That's what Jesus said. There's only one way to God. There's only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ, him crucified and him being the Lord of your life. It's the only way. It's not through Muhammad. It's not through Buddha. It's not through being a good person. As we've seen in this message, none of us can hold to his standard of righteousness in our own strength. The only way is through Jesus And if it's through Jesus, it means following him his way, not ours. And I can just tell you, it will be difficult. Following Jesus is not always easy. Jesus promises us, you will have troubles in this life. But take heart, I've overcome the world. This is what he's saying. Listen, we're going to have troubles no matter what. You get to decide whether or not you go through troubles with Jesus or without Jesus. Either way, you're going through them. And Jesus says, if you go through them with me, guess what? I went through them too, but I defeated them. I won. I finished the race, and so can you. That's what he's saying. Being a a Christian, it means commitment. It means consecration. Doing, doing anything in life that you choose to be successful. We have, we have athletes all throughout that. Many of you guys were athletes and in college, and some of you even on a professional level. In order to do that, guess what? It took commitment. It took consecration. It took saying no to some things to say yes to pursuing this, right? Why do we act like the kingdom of heaven is any different? Why do we act like following Jesus is any different? We sign our name on a document and we act like it's our fire insurance. And now I'm good, I can do whatever I wanna do. Jesus says, not so. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Few follow it, few walk through it. I want you to think about this for a moment. Who was Jesus talking to when he was preaching this? Of course, we know there's a giant crowd, but he was talking to his disciples and. It was those followers that would soon be persecuted by their own people. 
The Jewish people, the religious leaders of that day, the ones that, again, were the standard of righteousness, they would turn their backs on those followers of Jesus and persecute them. And shortly after that, the Roman government, the most powerful government the world had ever seen up until that point, turned on these followers of Jesus and killed them, tortured them. This isn't, this isn't the your best life now kind of scenario. This was, they would literally dip them in tar and pitch and hang them on stakes and light them on fire to light up the Colosseums. That's how cruel they were to Christians. And Jesus knew this. And he's telling them, if you're gonna follow me, you're gonna have hardships. But it's worth it. Follow me. And if he was challenging them, why do we think that the moment something gets difficult in life that we don't like, that we have the right to go, ah, this whole God thing doesn't work. Jesus was calling for those who would lay down their lives to follow him. And it was because of those people who went through that, they ended up turning that Roman government, the, the nation of, the, that nation of Rome ended up making Christianity the religion of the state because of the perseverance and the, pers- the, the people of God fighting through that and staying faithful. God always has a, pr- a plan and a purpose, even in our hardships, even in our hardships. But that's, that's not my message. Let me keep going. Jesus was preparing them for what lied ahead for them. And can I just tell you this? I would rather hard truth like that that prepares me for hardships than flowery language that tells me everything's going to be okay and it's not. And I want you to hold on to that because I'm going to make that point again in just a few moments. But there's people who say, you Christians are all, y'all are narrow-minded and intolerant. Can I tell you, as the church, number one, stop being rude and mean in the name of Jesus. Okay, people, people are not drawn to Jesus whenever you're mean and you yell at them with veins popping out in your neck telling them they're going to hell. Okay, this, that's number one. Stop being a jerk, right? I'm going to say, y'all, y'all came to church. Write that in your notes. Stop being a jerk. So that's number one. But number two, we're full of love, but we're equally full of truth. God is love, but God is also truth. In his love, he does not compromise what is true and what is right. And if Christians are seen as, quote, unquote, narrow-minded, it's because the path that we've chosen is a narrow path. And we know the only way to heaven is through the narrow path. That's it. And then Jesus warns us in verse 15, he says this, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way that they act. Can you pick grapes from a thorn bush or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad fruit cannot produce good good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. 
Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so can you identify people by their actions. Now, there are many people in our culture and our society that are false prophets. And they may not view themselves as false prophets. They, they don't wear a name tag that says, hi, by the way, I'm a false prophet. I'm in the false prophet fan club on Facebook if you look me up. No, they come, they look good. They say things that sounds good and sounds right to us. But if you press them, this, if you press them, you see the deception. If you wait around long enough, you see the trickery, you see the manipulation. They say things like, there's more than one way to God. I mean, come on. Just be a good person. Or Christianity is so narrow and they're full of bigots and they're so restrictive and that's just not, that's, we, we're full of love and we just, we love everybody. Yeah, you love them so much that you refuse to let them believe the truth. That's not love. That's not love at all. That's selfishness. That's pride. They say no religion is wrong. Let me, let me explain something. Let me say this publicly for everybody to hear. Jesus loves Mormons. He loves Jehovah's Witnesses. He loves Buddhists. He loves Muslims. He loves black Hebrew Israelites. He loves them all, and they are all wrong. Every one of them is wrong. Throw another religion in there if you want to, and it's wrong. Well, Pastor, that sounds pretty narrow. Get the point? The path is narrow. Well, Pastor, I know some people like that, and they are very, very sincere in their faith. I believe you, but they're sincerely wrong. They're sincerely wrong. Either we believe what Jesus says or we don't. Here's the thing about false prophets. A lot of what they have to say is true. You should love people, you're right. You should help people, you're right. Don't make people feel bad. It's probably a good thing to apply to my life. But this whole Jesus thing, he's not, he's not the only way. That's the lie. Or Jesus, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, what do you believe about Jesus? I believe Jesus was a good man and a good moral teacher. Decep deception. That's the lie. Because Jesus tells us who he is. Let me, let me just say this. Let me make a point this way. And I've heard this years ago. One of three things has to be true about Jesus. Given the things that Jesus himself said about himself, one of three things is true. And because I'm a preacher, they all start with the same letter. That's what preachers do. Either he's a liar, either he bold-faced lied and deceived thousands and millions of people all throughout human history, either he's a liar or he's a lunatic. It was absolutely crazy and insane to say the things that he said about himself. Either he's a liar or he's a lunatic or he is Lord. And everything he said is absolutely true. 
So you can't pick and choose the things you believe about what he said. Because he's, yes, he is the one that said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. He said that. He is the one that taught us to be poor in spirit, to be meek. He is the one that taught us to be forgiving and gracious. But he is also the one who said, I am the only way to God. There's nowhere else, no way else other than through me. So either he's a liar, or he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. Now, not only is what false prophets teach twisted, but how they live is twisted. Remember the religious leaders of the day that were in the crosshairs of much of what Jesus was preached about on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said this about them. He said, to the people, do what they tell you to do. Listen to them, but don't do what they do. Don't live like they live. In other words, they were talking a good game, but their lives did not reflect what they talked about. Look at the fruit that's being produced by those who are teaching you and guiding you. If the fruit is not lining up with the messages, then that's a problem. And I'm not saying any of us are perfect. By no means, none of us are perfect. But we're following Jesus and there should be good fruit being produced by those who are leading you. If I sit up here and this happens in our day and time and I'm not casting stones, or God is very forgiving and very merciful even to those who preach the gospel who've, got, who've sinned in their own life and fallen. I believe that. I believe we should not be the type of people who are throwing stones at those who, who've erred and lost their way. But nonetheless, if I'm preaching to you and I'm not living what I'm preaching and I have a double life, you should leave this church and leave it now. That's what you should do if I'm not living the very things that I'm teaching you. And Jesus said about these religious leaders, they are teaching it, but they're not living it. False prophets. False prophets. Now, Jesus taught us earlier, I believe it was last week, we talked about judging, right? Don't judge. And I told you, I, I believe the essence of what he was saying is don't judge unfairly because here he's telling you very much, judge. Look at their life. Judge by the fruit you see in their life. If the fruit you see in their life is consistent with how they live, good. If your life is producing figs, guess what? You're a fig tree. You can say all day long, I'm a pecan tree, but if you have oranges on your tree, not a pecan tree. <laughs> you are what your life is producing. So let me ask you this about the people that surround your life. What is, what is their life producing? The people that you are allowing to influence you, the friendships, the relationships, the dating relationships. And when you say, when we say someone is influencing me, they're doing just that. They are influencing you. They're helping to shape you. My pastor has said it this way for many, many years of this church. Show me your five closest friends and I will show you your destiny. Show me the closest people in your inner circle and I will tell you where you're going because of the fruit that's being produced on their trees that will inevitably be produced in yours. That's the way it works. That's why small groups are so important. For some of you, one of the biggest things that you need to grow further in your relationship with God, look up here, don't miss this. 
is to get around people that are going to help you live it. To get around people who are going to challenge you to live it and to do it right. That's why small groups are so important. And again, in this context, the religious leaders that Jesus was exposing were producing negative fruit. And I think he was saying, look at what their lives are producing and tell me if you should be following them. Now Jesus says, perhaps one of the most challenging things he said in this entire sermon. If you thought it was waiting, just wait. Verse 21. He says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. And Jesus says, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who breaks God's law. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a strong statement. That's a powerful statement. Now, get me wrong. Confession is vital to salvation, right? The apostle Paul taught us that. He said, confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. But I think we have a misunderstanding of what Lord means. He wasn't just saying, just say these words, and this is the magic formula, right? Alakazam, alakazoo, I'm saved. Open sesame, I'm saved. No, no, no. That's not the way the kingdom works. Your confession with your mouth has to be linked to what you believe in your heart. And if you believe in your heart he is Lord, then you follow him as such. You make him Lord. Now, I don't believe that any works gets us into the kingdom of heaven. Nothing you do makes you good enough to get into heaven. That is not what we're saying. That is not what Jesus is saying. But remember this. We are saved by grace through faith for good works. You are saved to produce good fruit. The life you live should be consistent with the things you say. If you say he's Lord of my life, then guess what? You have to live like he's Lord of your life. I think sometimes that we think Lord is Jesus' first name. Jesus' middle name, Christ's last name. Lord Jesus Christ. Or we say Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and we think that's the same thing. Savior is what he did for you on the cross and washing you from your sins. Lordship, Lord is your response to his saving you. Lord means because of what you've done for me, I will humble myself and I will follow you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are willing to humble themselves and relinquish their rights to follow him. That means he is Lord. He has your heart. Marcus, come up here for a minute, if you don't mind. I want to illustrate something for you guys. You can come on up to the stage, yes, sir. Y'all give it up for Marcus. Great man in our church. Have a seat, Marcus. This chair, let's just say this chair is the seat of lordship in my life. 
And when I get saved and I pray that prayer and I pray to be born again, I say, Jesus, and this is Jesus, by the way. But y'all didn't know this. But y'all didn't know right here, every single son. And he's a UL fan, which is nice. Got the UL shirt on. We all know that's not true. Jesus loves LSU. But anyway, okay, moving on. This is the chair of lordship. And he gets to call the shots in my life. And when I pray that prayer and I commit my life to him, he's in that chair. This is what happens along the journey, though. He's telling me what to do. And inevitably, he crosses my will, which he's good at. And he says, Gabe, I want you to end that relationship that you know you're not supposed to be in. And I say, Lord, I don't know. Um, let's, let's discuss this for a little while. <laughs> and he doesn't change, by the way. He stays the same. And I just, okay, Lord, let's, let's talk about this. Um, by the way, Gabe, um, I don't like your language. You see, you're not really honoring me with the words you say, and you're not really a good witness. Well, Jesus, so um, scoot over a little bit, let's, Lord. Let's, let's talk about this a little bit more. See, I don't really like you telling me what to do. Um, my family, this is how we talk. This is part of my culture. Jesus, my culturally, we curse all the time, and we, we gave. I want you to spend some time with me and pray. If you start talking about my finances, get out of here, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you so much, Marcus. I'll give it up for Marcus. That's the illustration of lordship. Whoever sits in this seat gets to make the, the call the shots in my life. Not physically this seat, don't be weird but the seat of lordship in my life. I either give that to him or I take that away from him. We don't get to sit on there together. He is either lord of all or he is not lord at all. Now hear me, I want you to understand this. I want you to understand what Jesus did on the cross was for us. There is forgiveness. There is mercy. God is long-suffering and enduring and patient. None of us is perfect. But there is a big difference between struggling to overcome a sin and comfortably living in it and expecting God to be okay with it. There's a big difference. Well, God, I don't want to stop sleeping with my girlfriend. God, I don't, I don't want to stop lying and cheating on my taxes. I don't want to stop that career that I know doesn't honor you. I don't want to get close to church people. I don't want to do those things. Jesus says, am I Lord or am I not? Because if you're going to follow me, narrow is the path. Narrow is the path, and few choose it. Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus says this, just to continue illustrating this. He says, so why do you call me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Jesus says, you, it's lip service. You're saying Lord. And listen, even when you use the word Lord twice, it's as if you're saying it with passion. Like, you're, I'm passionate about Jesus. Lord, Lord. 
I come in here, my hands are, throw up my hands, praise you again. And you're like jumping, and you're the person that people are like, I don't want to sit next to them this week because they get a little crazy. And like, all of those things. But when you go home, he's not Lord. He's not Lord. He may look like Lord here, but he's not Lord at home. Man, and, and this, think about who he was talking to. This is so big. These were people that Jesus said, you've healed the sick. You've cast out devils in my name. You've prophesied in my name. You did all of these great things. You want to know why? They did them because there's power in his name. But he said, I don't know you. I never knew you. Depart from me. How horrible would it be to do all of these great things in his name only for him to say, I've never known you. How can that be, Pastor Gabe? I mean, how, how could they even do that? Think about the religious leaders of the day. They did incredible things in God's name. That's who this whole thing, remember, he was talking about them. Unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you can't enter my kingdom. So Jesus is saying, you may have power to do incredible things, but if you're not letting me lead, if you're not making me Lord, if all of the great things you do are only for your accolades, like we talked about a few weeks ago, if you're doing it so that everybody thinks you're holy and you're spiritual, good job, and you do it for the show of everything because that's what hypocrites do. The word hypocrite means actor. It's all for the show, but inwardly in your heart, it's not yielded and it's not submitted to him. Jesus says, you've had your reward and you have none in eternal life. How horrible would it be for us to preach to you and you end up having a lot of money in your bank account and a quasi-happy family and all of those things and you get to heaven one day and you hear, I never knew you. We're doing you no favors if we do that. Jesus said the way is narrow. The way is through lordship. It's through Jesus, it's through the cross, it's through following him, staying in there. These people were saying, I did all of the stuff and Jesus says, yes, but your heart didn't belong to me. There was no intimacy in our relationship. You did all of those things for you, not for me. And then he goes on to say this. He goes on to say this. Again, motives, intentions. God sees right through those things. He knew the religious leaders of his day, and he's warning us not to do the same thing, but doing it in his name. Jesus finishes his sermon with this, verse 24. Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise. Can I just pause there for a moment? I'm going to go back to that last point. Even in hearing this message, I've been in ministry for a long time. And some of y'all think I'm 25. I'm 42. <laughs> I've been in ministry since I was probably 24 years old. 23, 24, something like that. And there, even in the challenge of this, there's times I, I've had to go back and repent even recently, hearing, preparing for this message, I went back and repented. Lord, there were times and seasons in my life where I ministered for my glory, not for yours. Lord, there were days and seasons in my life when it was all about the numbers. It was all about the notoriety that I can get. Maybe I'll get to go do this. 
If I'm being honest, I don't, I don't think I have any reward for those seasons of my life. And I have to repent because this is for him and for his glory. This is not my church. You're not my church. You're Jesus' church. You're Jesus' church. Jesus ends his sermon by giving us this. He says, and this is so, it's been misconstrued and misunderstood many times. He says, anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. Did you know, it's been said that there are homes in Jerusalem that are still there, buildings that are still there, that were there in Jesus' time. 2,000 years ago, because they were built right and built on a rock, they're still existing to this day. I believe Jesus knew that as well. And he says, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand, when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. In other words, what good is it, church, to hear the words of Jesus and to not do them? What good is it to hear messages and never apply them to your life? Did you know the point of these messages is not your entertainment? Did you know that? I hope, I, I do, I, I sincerely hope that there's times when you leave Sunday mornings and you think, man, I never knew that before. I've never heard that before. Thank God for that teaching. Or, man, Pastor Gabe was on today. Or, man, he was really funny today. I hope all of those things happen. I genuinely, sincerely do. But the main goal is none of those things. The most important thing is none of those things. The most important thing is that you hear something that you turn around and apply to your life and it changes the way that you live. That's the most important thing. The main goal is living out these words. And to add emphasis to this, he's talking about, I believe, the last three chapters that he's taught. See, we, we sing again songs like, I'll build my life on your word, and oh, my build, I'm building my life. And we, we say, man, my life is built on the rock, and we don't even understand what that means. What he's saying is that you take this message I just preached and you live it, then your house is built on a rock. Your house is not built on the rock just because you signed your name on a church roster. Your, name is not, your, your life is not built on the rock because you listen to worship music first thing in the morning. Your life is built on the rock if you take my teachings, Jesus said, and apply them to how you live. That's what anchors you. That's what builds your life on the rock. If you walk, if you walk your life out in such a way that you say, blessed are the poor in spirit, and you live that way, and you live meekly, and you, you, you allow the Holy Spirit to purify the motivations of your heart, and you pray for the right reasons, and you fast for the right reasons, and you give for the right reasons, and you live out this way, not unfairly judging the world, not unfairly being angry and, and wrathful and looking at women lustfully and doing, and you live your life the way that Jesus taught us to live, Jesus says, you're anchored. So when the storm comes, you'll make it. When the wind blows, you'll make it. 
But if you listen to these words and you simply say, I agree with that. That's a, that's a good word, Pastor Gabe, but it never works its way into how you live your life. When the flood comes, when the rain comes, when the wind comes, that house will collapse. Pastor Gabe, how do I know if my faith is genuine? Let me give you one way to know. Now, this, is the only, this is one way to know that your faith is genuine. It lasts. It stands through the test of time. It stands through, it makes it through the wind and the rain and the problems and the issues and the stuff and the persecutions and the family members that turn their back on you and the questions you have in your own mind and the times that person hurt you and offended you in the church. And if, you're, if your life endures through those things, Jesus wasn't after strong faith, he was after long faith. He was after faith that's going to make it. Those who endure to the end. That's what he's after. That kind of faith that's anchored and lives this. Listen, if you're going to be a Christian, can I get real practical with you? You know what being a Christian requires? Forgiving people who hurt your feelings. Some of you, we say, get in a small group, you're like, I am not doing that because I went to that one church that one time and that one person offended me. You go to Walmart. You still go. I've said this before. Some of you, listen, you can't tell me when you were in the club, nobody offended you. You kept going back. But when it comes to church, we act like because somebody hurt my feelings. I, ah, church people are bad. Listen, some of them are. But Jesus isn't. Jesus is not. His desire for you is good. And I believe sometimes he puts complicated people in our lives to work out our own sense of self-righteousness. When he makes you forgive people and you know you were right, <laughs> it kills something in you. Jesus knows what he's doing. So much that could be said. So he, he ends it that way. He says, everything I just talked about, you are wise if you actually apply it to your life. But if you just go, man, I'm a good member of a good church and I listen to the word all the time, but it never works its way into how I live my life. I wonder if you'll make it. <laughs> because it takes this to ground you and help you make it through the storms of life. When that doctor's appointment goes the way that you didn't expect it to go, will you still hold on? when things in your family don't work out the way that you are hoping for in the timing that you want it to work out. Listen, when it comes, you're going to be healed. I believe Jesus supernaturally heals people. Still today, I've known people who are physically healed. He still does it. But even if you're not healed in this life, you'll be healed in the next. Be healed in the next. And there are times when things in our family gets wonky and people and situations and kids and all, and it doesn't seem like it's going. If you hold on, he works all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But you got to fight through it and stay faithful to him right where you are. Right where you are. You know your faith is genuine if it lasts. 
if it stands the test of time. I encourage you, go back and listen to this, this teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Go back and read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 for yourself and make it an intentional effort to imply, apply these things to your life. Well, I need God's help to do it. Of course you do. But prayerfully apply it to your life. And then chapter 7 ends with this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. I guarantee they were. I bet there were people, as Jesus was teaching, they were sitting there like this. In shock, in awe. And the Bible tells us why. For he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Jesus didn't come and say, hey, I'm one of the ways, you know, choose me, I'll make you a good person. Jesus didn't say, let me add a little bit of me to your life and, you know, go to the gym once a week, go to, go to church once a week, and then you'll be better. Things will be. That's not what he said. He says, take up your cross and follow me. In other words, come and die. Come and die to the old way of living, your old way of living, and in doing so, you find eternal life. You find real peace. You find real joy. You find real purpose, the purpose that you were created for by the person who created you. And if this teaching sounds narrow, it's because it is. I'm convinced, and I know it because Jesus said, if you will find it, if you will find it, if you will choose to live this way. But my prayer is that every one of you does. Every one of you submits to him as Lord and actually follows him and says, not my will, but your will be done. This is what he asks of us. Don't just hear it, live it. Can I pray for you this morning? Lord, you taught us many things many that free us, many that heal us, many that challenge us. And I pray as the pastor of these people, I bring them before you, Lord. I intercede for them. Let them see this the way you intended it to be. Give them the grace as you who works in us to do what's right. Give them the grace to submit to simply submit, to say, I give up control. Jesus, what do you want? To live the way you want us to live. When it comes to our will or your will, our will goes by the wayside because we want your will. Jesus, help us apply these things to our lives, not just hear them and agree with them. And I pray that even today there would be a fresh agreement, a fresh commitment made to you to be Lord of all. You call the shots and you walk us through the journey. Even when we fall and we mess up, the word says a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up seven times. Help those who have fallen get back up and continue to follow because you're merciful and you're kind. With nobody looking around, if you're here this morning, and I'm not talking about whether or not you, 
you're a Christian and you just need to ask for forgiveness, you can ask for forgiveness right where you're at. Maybe there's been things that the Holy Spirit has pointed out to you and said, I want to be Lord of that area. If that's you, I, I encourage you, yield to him. Yield to him and follow his way. His way, listen to me, is best. He's not doing it to hurt you. He does it to help you. He does it because he knows the right way. But if you're here and you say, I've never been born again, Pastor. These words are, are foreign to me, yet I sense that they're life to me as well. I want to enter in through that narrow gate. I'll, I come needing him. You can be what the Bible calls born again. A new creation in Christ where your sins are forgiven and washed away. And the slate's wiped clean for you to follow him and to begin your journey of commitment to him. If you're here and you say, Pastor Gabe, I want that. Let me tell you what that is. A, you admit, as simple as ABC, A, you admit, admit this, that you're a sinner, that you're far away from God. B, you believe. Believe that when Jesus died on that cross, he wasn't doing it spite you, to spite you. He was doing it because he loves you. And it's that sacrifice that he made that paved the way for your sins to be washed away. And see, you commit and confess that he is now the Lord of your life. That he's the master. And you yield your way of life to him. That he rose again from the dead on the third day so that you can be his. But no one looking around on the count of three, if you say, Pastor, that's me. I want to be born again today. I want to begin that journey of following Jesus today. Will you just lift up your hand? I'll give you to the count of three. One, two, three. If that's you, lift it up. If you say, I want to follow Jesus, I want to be born again today. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand back there. Anyone else? Thank you, sweet girls. Thank you, ma'am. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. It's between you and God. Thank you. I see your hand back there. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am. I see your hand over there. If you raise your hand, whether you raise your hand or not, and you mean this prayer, look up at me. Just you. I want to encourage you with something. Today is the beginning of a brand new journey. Today is your new day. Don't ever forget this moment. In the moment, you're getting ready to pray, and he's washing you clean with his blood. And from this moment on, you're his. You can close your eyes. Church, pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe on that cross you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell so I would not have to go there. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven a purpose on earth and a relationship with God the Father. I turn away from my sin. I turn away of my control of my life. And I choose to make you Lord of my life. And from this moment on, God, you're my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate with every person that prayed that prayer today.
Welcome to the family of God. If you're wondering, what do I do now? What do I do next? Two things. One, keep coming. Keep learning what it means to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're going to see a bunch of people, a number of people are getting up. They're going out. A lot of these are our small group leaders, and they're going to be outside at our tents. I encourage you, go meet a small group leader and get connected in a group and relationally let them help teach you and show you what it means to be a follower and how to do this thing. It takes a village to be a disciple. Jesus called us together. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you as you go today. Also, you can, um, you can take out your phone and, and uh, scan the barcode on the screen in front of me to find out more information about our small groups or to get connected at our church or take that blue connect card in a pew pocket in front of you, fill that out as well and turn that into our front desk. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your people. I pray that you would bless them today, God. I pray that you would make your face shine on them, that you would bless them, Lord, and they're going out and then they're coming in. And Lord, I pray that what they put their hands to for the kingdom would prosper. What they put their hands to for your great name would prosper and be blessed. And as a church, we would walk in the fear of the Lord. We would be a pure church. We would be, God, a persistent church, even in the face of challenges. And we would be a powerful church that walks in the power of the Holy Spirit. Bless your people today in Jesus' name. I want to remind you that on the way out, we have prayer partners in the front to cover anything to pray with you. Love you guys. See you next week.